Hello, this is Pastor Mo, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. You know, the story uh, Pastor Moe told a minute ago about the, uh, the gentleman who came and uh, his last night to, to come and look for help, and we as a church were able to reach out. Um, I was worried he was going to preach my sermon for me. That's really uh, where I'm going. And uh, if you would open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at the passage there. And if you're unfamiliar with it, what happens is, and uh, a tie-in to remember my table ministry uh, sermon last time, is encouraging you to go out and eat with others that you aren't maybe as comfortable eating with or inviting new people to come and eat with you. Jesus goes to eat at the house of Simon the Pharisee. And uh, I actually hadn't planned that. When the verse came to me, it was another passage that came up. And until I went back and looked at the details, I realized, oh, actually, that fits into my last sermon, too. <laughs> so you get the benefit now. If you missed last time, it was on table ministry and how you ought to eat with people. So there you go. Five-second uh, summary. Uh, we're going to carry a little bit further tonight, or this morning, and talk about... What happens in the story? Uh, and, and it's about noticing details and paying attention to what's going on around us. And, and the question is, do you see? Because that, that was the main line that jumped out uh, in this passage. And, and I thought it's a powerful one because we always focus on all the other details of the story. But this one little question really draws out what Jesus is trying to, to emphasize uh, in, this, uh, in this story here. Uh, so while y'all are opening up to that, how many of you are, how many of you love Sherlock Holmes? The old books or maybe some of the new series. Yeah, man, you know, I, I love Sherlock Holmes. Um, I have to confess that I have not read his books, and it's one of those, like, on my bucket list is to go through and read the books because I love how Sherlock Holmes, he, he goes in and he's able to look at small details here and there, and he comes up with some great deductions, right? And he's a very good guesser because he looks at all the clues around him. And a lot of times we miss that about him because we just think, man, he's just so smart. He's got it all together, but he's basically just a good guesser. And he's able to look at small things. And there's a story, and it's one of my favorite ones, with Dr. Watson. And they were talking about how he makes educated guesses, these deductions. And Watson's kind of challenging him on it and asking him a few questions. And so he, he answers. He says, well, you know, give him a hard one. So he pulls out a pocket watch and hands it to Sherlock Holmes and says, what can you tell me about this pocket watch? Or the owner of this pocket watch. So he opens it up. He sees that there are some initials in there. He says, oh, I see by the initials it's probably your brother's watch, uh, an older brother, I imagine. And um, that, uh, let's see, it's not much to go on. Uh, it's been clean recently, and that's usually a lot of where I get my clues and stuff from. And so Watson's thinking, aha, I've got it. He, he can't get much from this. He says, but from the, the few details I can get, um, your brother wasn't, had times of richness, and he'd lose his money. He didn't take care of things, uh, and he died a drunk. Watson, he, he's furious. He can't understand and he says, shame on you, Holmes, that you went and did research on my family and found out about my brother just so you could bring all this up at some point when you needed it. I, I just can't believe this. And Sherlock Holmes says, I'm sorry. I, I actually didn't know you had a brother until you handed me the watch. How? How is that even possible? And, and he begins to lay it. He says, it came across coldly the way I laid out the details because that's how I was thinking about it. But here are the things I noticed. And so he, he notices how that there are pawnbroker marks inside the watch, which meant that the brother had obviously sold the watch to get money, and then when he had money, was able to buy it back. 
and then he did that several times. So obviously he fell in and out. There were uh, scratches and hit marks all over the watch, and it was a, a really nice priced watch. It was built in an older time, so it wasn't a current style watch, and so it must have belonged to somebody in the family, probably a father, uh, and had passed it down to the older brother. All the little scratches and stuff show that he didn't take care of such a nice watch. It's a ex real expensive watch, and he just threw it in to his pocket with maybe keys and other things. So it got all nicked up, which, you know, uh, said that, well, he didn't take care of really nice things that he has, so that was probably his personality. And then to wind it up, there were scratches all over there, which meant uh, drunks, when they're unlocking things, have the same scratch marks because, they, you know, unsteady hands and they're scratching it up. And so Sherlock Holmes was able to surmise all of this about a brother he didn't even know existed a few minutes before from looking at one watch because he paid attention to the small details. He didn't just look at the watch and, oh, it's a nice watch, hey, I'll give a few things. And, and I say all that to say is that a lot of times as Christians, we miss the details of the things that are going on. We often miss the trees because we're looking at the forest. We see a forest and we don't pay attention that there are individual trees represented. We see a group of people or we see a mass of people and, and even as pastoral staff and, and things like that, sometimes it's easy to see a congregation and miss the individuals that are struggling. And we do it every Sunday and every day of our lives. We walk through the store, we walk through our neighborhoods, we interact at work. And, and we don't pay attention to people hurting. We just see, oh, that's the finance department. That's the second. Oh, that's shipping. You know, and all these other, oh, that's, that's maintenance. Uh, they're cleaning up and doing things like that. And we miss the details of being able to see when somebody's hurting, when somebody may need Jesus Christ to step into their lives. As Pastor mentioned about the story with the, the gentleman, he, he called up looking for help. And it was late, and it would have been easy to say, hey, why don't you come back tomorrow? It's a good thing we didn't say that, huh? And we helped him, and, and Pastor and I are talking right there, and, and he's like, you know what, the guy's in a wheelchair. He's coming across the street to us in a wheelchair, uh, across the highway. We should probably go get him. I was like, all I've got is my truck. I don't know if we'll even be able to pick him up and get him into my truck. And so he's like, well, you know, the car will be lower. So to talk about it, him and Brother Todd go out and, and pick him up and help him. And uh, it, it was amazing being able to help him in his last moment. See, we don't pay attention to those little details that come up. And, and I want to tell you, that's where... That, that's where the gospel is, is in the small details of dealing with people. Being able to look at members of the church, being able to look at members of the community, maybe be able to look at different races or different genders or, or different stereotypes and be able to say, that's not a very generic name, you know, or something. Oh, oh that, that's a church. No, that is a person, a young lady, a young man, uh, an older man, an older woman who looks broken because they have a need. And Jesus, in dealing with Simon, points that out to Simon because of a, of a lady who comes and decides to interfere into Simon's dinner party. And so if you're there, let's uh, Luke chapter 7. Ah, almighty clicker. I forgot to make sure I had this one. The uh, first thing I want to point out is, is the people. Do you see the people around you? The individuals, the, the lives that matter. Not, not the people at the store, not my neighbors in the neighborhood, but the so-and-so who lives next door to me or three doors down who has this going on in their lives and they're struggling with this. And let me make sure I'm praying and reaching out to them. The, um, actually, before we get to that, would everybody please stand? I'm just going to read through this so we have the gist of the stories we go through. And then I'm going to pull out individual passages.
Then one of the Pharisees invited him, Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one that he forgave more. You have judged correctly, Jesus told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, and this is passage, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You may be seated. As we saw in the passage, uh, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, talking about Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. He's lumped her into a category of those who aren't as spiritually righteous as he is. He has put her in the frame of this is her lifestyle. She is doing these things. And they go against my righteous way of life. It's a bit of arrogance, right? And yet how often do people come into our churches or come into our homes and we immediately say, wow, that's, that's that kind of person. Quick to point fingers, quick to, to, to identify or label them as a group that doesn't fit, and maybe not even doesn't fit, but to forget that they're a person who needs Jesus Christ. And we've already written them off because we put them in a category that says, I can't help. That's not who I'm called to. That's not what my, my strengths, my, my whatever. You can put any other excuse fitting in there. And yet we do that a lot of times as Christians. We label people. And Jesus turns the story around. I don't have another verse in there? Oh, man, I forgot to put it. <laughs> and so Jesus, and that was passage in 44, that verse, he says, do you see this woman? And he brings Simon back from thinking about her as a sinner to she's an individual. She is a person who needs something. Obviously, to go through all of this, she's broken. She's hurting. She's humiliating herself publicly in somebody else's home. Right? And Simon just sees, oh, somebody who's interrupted my dinner party with the great Jesus who I'm going to try and trick up. Or, oh, man, people are going to be talking about this for months, about this prostitute who came into my house. They're going to ask questions. The story get around that I had a prostitute in my house. Right? God forbid. See, he is looking at her as a sinner, somebody who doesn't deserve the grace of God, somebody who doesn't deserve to have a relationship with God who loves her as an individual. We just got finished studying Jonah in our young adult class. And one of the things that, that really I love most is how 
God calls Jonah. Jonah hates the Assyrians. They don't deserve God's mercy and grace and forgiveness and all this other stuff. And he refuses to go to them. But God at the end says, you love a plant more than you love people. And you didn't even invest or grow this plant. How, how can I any less love a people that I've invested in? God, all throughout the Old and New Testament, is about loving people. His wrath comes out against sin. He hates sin. He hates when we turn away from him. But he loves people. Jesus carries that through. Because he loves people. And his church, as they go out, the apostles who preach and stuff, they're about loving people. The message of the Bible is loving God and loving one another. It's our motto. Loving God, loving one another. And that plays out. That's not, I don't go show love by going and tell somebody they need Jesus and then walking away. I go out and love people, and in that I'm showing them Jesus. There are lots of individuals around. There are lots of people who are hurting. Some sitting right next to you in these pews. And we need to learn to see people and not problems. We need to learn to see individuals and their struggles and not the sin. Man, I grew up, and I grew up Southern Baptist. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Problem is, we often focus on hating the sin and leaving the loving the sinner part out. Right? And it's true. And, and I don't say that judgmentally. Christians as a whole do that. We're, that's not exclusive to Southern Baptists or to our church, even. That's our culture. That's, that, that's how the world is today. That's why the world is in such turmoil because the world is full of hate. God created Eden where he could walk with his creation and have a loving community with them. Today's world is nothing like Eden, where we hate each other and we're calling each other out and we're offended by everything. About the only thing left to, uh, to fuss at is, I don't know, I'm sure we'll turn on animals soon. They're the only ones we're not picking on and, and calling out. Man, we call each other out quick. It's hard to be black, it's hard to be white, it's hard to be a man, it's hard to be a woman, it's hard to be rich, it's hard to be poor, it's hard to be, you name it, everybody hates you. That's the world. That's not easy. And Revelation ends where God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And when you talk about heaven, what's always the image? Of everybody, all the nations worshiping together, all those who believe in Jesus Christ, who are worshiping together. And there's no distinction. Just people worshiping, loving, getting to fellowship with God. But you can't see the person if you don't see the need. You can't, you, you can't conceptualize what they might be going through if you're not paying attention to what they might need. So I want to draw your attention to verses 44 through 47. He's turning to the woman. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water. But she, with her tears, washed my feet, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. I mentioned a, a minute ago about how this woman debased herself. She humiliated herself to go before religious leaders, to go in the middle of a dinner party that she wasn't invited to, knowing that she would be looked at in horrible ways, in judgmental ways. And yet she goes, and she doesn't even just go in and she's like, hey, excuse me, I just want to 
poor smile on your head. I, you know, I appreciate you. And she backs off, right? She comes in and she cries. And she is crying so much, she can literally bathe Jesus' feet in her tears. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you like feet? I just got to say, not the, the most interesting story in the Bible for me. Not a good person. But she is down there, and if she's crying, drying with her hair, her face is next to his feet. Right? This shows that there is a brokenness where her life is so torn up and so broken, and she has such a need for Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. Not even her own sense of social sanity. Right? She loves Jesus so much at this point because she has heard the stories of a man who is healed. A man who is, has reached out to the common folk who love and bring them closer to God. Who's able to fix their bodies when they're broken. And she just wants something of that. And she cries and cries because she knows her life. She, she thinks of herself as a sinner. She doesn't even think of herself as an individual. She thinks, I'm just a worthless sinner. She's crying and crying. And the alabaster jar, and man, that was worth a lot. Probably ill-gotten games. I'm sure some gentleman friend gave it to her. And yet she takes probably her, her most expensive possession and is not even worried about providing for herself and things like that. She breaks it so she can pour it over Jesus' feet. Because she is so broken. She needs Jesus, and that's what Jesus sees is her heart, her need. How, how willing she is to break herself down. And y'all, we have some people who walk in here and they're scared to death. They know how, how sinful they are and, and that they haven't been living for Jesus. Some of y'all are walking in that way. Because usually you pull me aside after. Hey, I need a talk. <laughs> and that's okay. We need to be looking at needs. And it, it doesn't have to be somebody who's lost. It can be somebody who's saved. But we need to be to look at the needs that are in each other's lives. And begin to say, I can help. Lord, create in me a new heart that loves this person so much that I want to step out outside of my comfort zone and help them. Because that's what it's going to take. To be able to love a person that completely, that you're not looking at their sin. You're looking at just how bad they need Jesus. And it's not always obvious. There are people who will yell and curse and scream at you and talk bad about the church and about you and, and tear you down. Because they don't even know that they need Jesus. We've got some people who come in here and they're, man, they're, man my family, my so-and-so has done this. Somebody related to has done this. And I'm like, don't see him as your parent or see him as your brother or see him... See them as a mission project. They need Jesus right now. They're not saved. They're not, they're not focusing on the Holy Spirit speaking into their lives. See them that you are a Christian who's able to speak in, into their lives, Jesus Christ. You may be the only person right now who's got that opportunity. And it may take you swallowing your pride and saying, yeah, they've offended me. They've hurt me. They, 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 my ego hurts. My life hurts. They grew my heart. Whatever. But when it comes to bringing Jesus into their lives, nothing else matters. Jesus wasn't worried about social standing. Obviously, if he was a prostitute, wouldn't have been walking up and laying at his feet. Jesus didn't care about how people perceived him other than knowing that he was the Messiah. He didn't care what the Pharisees thought. He didn't care what the Sadducees thought, the religious leaders. He didn't care what Rome thought. He came to love on people. You can't see the need, though, if you don't see the vision. Jesus' vision was to bring loving community. To bring the kingdom of God. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, a lot of times, like they did in the old days, we think about it being 
political or we think about it being, well, everything will be perfect and right then and stuff like that. And honestly, it's not any of those things. The, the key to living in the kingdom is something we can do now, loving on others. If you want to know what the kingdom is like, look at, at the Garden of Eden where there was love and people took care of, of each other and the animals and the earth and stuff and walked in fellowship with God. That is the kingdom. And if you're living that way now, if you are loving people, no matter how, how much it hurts, then you are living in the kingdom. All of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, as Jesus is teaching, what he is teaching is a way that people are to live and get along with each other. You have to, you have to see the vision because it changes how you respond to the need and it changes how you see people. Your focus changes. If you can catch the vision and be excited about what Christ is doing, about what God is doing here on this earth is that he is trying not to bring a political system. He's not even trying to bring a heavenly kingdom to this earth. He's trying to bring a loving community. Where people want to love each other. It's second nature. Where people want to reach out and help each other when they see somebody going down because it's just part of who they are. Part of who we are. And as Christians, you know, this is how people know that you're my disciples. When you love one another. Love is the key to doing all of this. In fact, uh, one of the best illustrations is found in the, um, um, of course, uh, it's found in the story of the Good Samaritan. There you go. And, and what happens is that there is a man who gets robbed and beaten and tossed to the side of the road. Three people pass him by. One, a priest, a Jewish priest who cannot get his hands dirty because he would be unclean. Same thing with the Levi, who's, who's not quite as important a religious figure, but still, he's somebody who works in the temple and, and helps out and stuff. And even he says, I just, I can't. And then the Samaritan, worthy, worthless, filthy Samaritan. At least that's how the Jews would have thought about it. He actually stops. He's in the middle of his journey, and we don't know where he's going to or something, but obviously he's traveling. He's not in the best territory because he is in the Jewish territory, and so he's probably getting picked on and laughed at and ridiculed and, and you know, looked askance, as they would say. Because <coughs> he's a Samaritan. They're lower than low. And yet he's the one who stops, and Jesus asks the scribe and says, who was the neighbor? We're going to tell that story today, or let's say even the, the 1950s and 60s, when all the racist uh, issues and, and things like that were really coming to a head. You might have had a white pastor and a white deacon who walked by and ignored the guy, and a black gentleman who stopped at home. Today, if we were retelling it, it might be that you had um, head of the WU. She's walking by, maybe, uh, again, a deacon or a pastor or somebody you would expect should be the one who would stop and help. Maybe it's the owner of a bar, an atheist. Somebody that, that you would think, why would they stop and help? There's no reason or need to. But what we see in the story is that they put aside everything, whatever's going on, and they stop and help and reach out to help someone. They have the loving your neighbor down part. But not everybody has the loving your God down part. And I want to challenge us to be good neighbors, that, that when we can reach out to those who are, are different from us, not because we agree with what they believe, not because we think that their lifestyles are all that they should be, 
Because obviously Jesus didn't agree with the prostitute's lifestyle. Yet he reached out and forgave her of her sins. Brought her into fellowship in the community of believers with a simple act of love. So are we a loving church? Do we have the vision of what it means to reach this community? Part of the reason why we formed the vision team wasn't to, to say, hey, go do this or go do that. It was really to bring in people who maybe weren't as tied into our church, who had just come in to the church. People who could see our church from the outside looking in. People who struggle getting connected inside the church. We have a really good group of poor people who do just about everything. And I hate to say that, but it's most churches. The same people are doing it all the time. And they're getting burned out. They won't tell you that, but they are. They're getting frustrated. They care less about people because they're so burned out. They're being ruined for ministry. We need people who can look in and say, I want to be a part of that. And this is how I can get in. So the vision team came up with three things, and I've mentioned those before, pastors talked about them as well, is that one, our communication. We don't do great by communicating how to get involved, what's expected of people, how to find, how to get into the building even. Our communicating what we believe to the community. That was a huge, that was the one that came up every single time, it was the very first one. The second one is, we're not really doing much to get out and reach lost, those who don't know anything about Jesus Christ. We sit here and kind of hope they'll come to us, but we're not getting out as much. Our biggest evangelism outreach was BBS. That says something. The last one was young families. We need to do better by reaching younger families to up our children's ministry, our student ministry, our young adult ministry. Those were gaps that they saw, that if we are a church that has a vision for Broussard, then we need to reach every segment of Broussard. You know, I hate to say it, I look around, I don't see a lot of different nationalities. We're missing some segments of Broussard that way too, and maybe we need to reach out, fight some other cultures in. But that will only happen if we have a vision. That Jesus loves everybody. And outside of our doors, there is a town of 10,000 people that we can love on. That you can love on. And I'm not asking you to, to really step out and do anything different. Other than just begin to pay attention. Do you see those around you? That's easy. Be in prayerful consideration every time you go out the door, every time you're walking out to the community and say, Lord, what are you going to show me today? Help me to see the individuals that you want me to reach out to. And then be faithful to reach out be faithful to, oh, man, I'm on my way to go to such and such. And such. All right, I can take a few minutes to go through. I had one of those this week. I had a former member contact me, and she was sick and needed some medicine and stuff like that. And I was rushing to go to somewhere else. And, and I was like, oh, I'm passing right by CVS. CVS? CVS? I was yeah, yes, thank you. So I stopped, got her some medicine, and dropped it off. I still made it on time. But it was an inconvenience. And I really didn't want to do it, I'll be honest. But I missed an opportunity uh, a month ago, and it's been convicting me ever since. I was driving along, and I got challenged to say, when Jesus asks you to do something, say yes and do it. That, uh, that should always be our response anytime Jesus asks something. Yes. N no questions, no. Yes, period. Right? 
And I drove by going one way, and I saw a guy walking on the side of the road. And for some reason, he was a younger guy, and he really, the Lord, Holy Spirit just hit me and said, stop him, give that guy a ride. And I was like, I'd have to turn around, I'm going somewhere else. And then by the time, you know, obviously justified. You get it, you get further. Well, by the time I turn around, that's probably where he's going to go. So I'm just not going to worry about it. Well, I'll tell you, by the time I got done and I came back, he was still walking. And the Lord's, pick that guy up. Happy? I did. I'll be honest. I still think about it a month later. I'm like, oh, okay, Lord, I'll be more faithful next time. Just give me another. I, I'm so sorry. But you see, I missed an opportunity. He may have needed Jesus Christ. He may have needed someone who could just encourage him, just pray over him, just bring a small portion of Jesus into his life. And I missed an opportunity because I was too busy, too lazy, too whatever was going on at the moment. I'm glad we didn't miss it this, this week with the guy who needed help. And, I, and, I, and it's pushed me to step up in other ways when it's a little inconvenient or a little frustrating, a little whatever, to, to go ahead and drop what's going on and help out a person. And I want to challenge y'all to do that. Just be faithful to say yes. Notice what's going on and be faithful to say yes. Jesus turns around and in front of Simon and everybody else who's at the party, I tell you her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith is saved, you go in peace. And so he brings her into the community. Whoop, I'm not quite there yet. Don't worry, I'm not going wrong. <laughs> so he brings her into the community in front of all these people. And now she has been, in a sense, restored. He's forgiven her sins. He's given her back something that she didn't have before, which was standing in the community. I want to finish with uh, one other quick thought. And uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. See, there's a need. The harvest is plentiful. There are people out there who want to know Jesus Christ. We don't have to, you could throw a rock and probably hit somebody who needs to know Jesus Christ and wants to know him. That, that, the harvest is plentiful. The problem is the workers are few. Are you going to be a faithful worker? Are you going to be faithful to respond to his call? To step up and step out? We have needs here at the church that there are people and families you can minister to just by stepping up to some of the needs we have here. Especially in our children's department. Look at the bulletin. We have a lot, a lot of needs mentioned there. That one has a high uh, turnover. Adults get burned out. And that's okay. We need more adults to step in. We have other ministries that need it too. We mentioned this week about taking flowers to those in Camelot. And I've had several of you respond uh, and show interest. And I'm getting some of the details together. We'll have a, a short meeting on what that might look like. But that's going to be loving part of our community that doesn't get much love. And our church is able to be a part of that. And there are other things that are going to come up. And you need to be able to say, yes, here I am. I'm ready to work. Jesus uh, in, in Matthew is separating the nations, and he separates them into goats, and he separates them into sheep. And they begin to ask, or, you know, if the discussion is about why is he separating goats and sheep when it comes to the nations? What do the two categories represent? One of them represents those who went out of their way to help, who helped the poor, the widow, those in prison, those who needed a meal, things like that. And then there was those who didn't. 
And then the goats are like, where, how, how did we miss it? And Jesus says, if you've done it to the least, you've done it for me. And a lot of times I've always read that story, and I got challenged this week, and this is what I'm going to leave you with. I got challenged to think about it. A lot of times we think when we're reaching the poor, we're bringing Jesus to them. When, when we're feeding the, home, the hungry or, or helping the homeless, we're bringing Jesus to them. But if you look at the details of that story, Jesus says, if you fed them, you fed me. He's already there. So I'm going to leave you with this thought. If you want to meet Jesus in a more intimate way, the only way you're going to do that is if you're going to where the needs are. Because he's already there. And you are bringing food, not to the homeless. You're bringing it to Jesus so you get to interact. If you're providing and taking care of and going to prisons and doing things like that, you are there meeting Jesus. And so it's a spiritual moment for us, not for those we're bringing food to. So if you wonder where Jesus is, I'm telling you where to find him. Among the needs. And I hope today we can commit as a church to say we want to be where Jesus is. As we move into our invitation, there may be some of you who want that kind of community. And we have a great church here. If you're, if you're new and you're a visitor, we, we have an amazing church. We have a lot of people who love, who care, who reach out and help. But like any church, we're not, we're not perfect. We have our blind spots and our mistakes. But what connects us is that we all love Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that, I want to encourage you to be able to step up and come be a part of that. We, we want you in our family. Um, I'm going to say that up here. We want you to be a part of our family. Maybe you've been hurting and you've been really struggling with something. Come up for prayer. Let us pray for you. Maybe you just need a family. Maybe you need baptism. I don't, I don't know whatever the need is, but let us do our best to try and help it. Can't promise we'll always get it, but I promise we're going to do our very best to try hard for it. And we've done some pretty strange things in the 10 years I've been here <laughs> to help people. But it's been amazing because we've been able to bring Jesus into their lives. Pastor Monk's going to come up, and I'm going to be down at the front, and we're going to move into our invitation. And if you would, just bow your heads and pray that maybe there's a need God will show you. Maybe there is the decision you need to make to be a part of this family. To accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you've been looking for a church home for a while. And I want to tell you this is the one that you need to be involved in. This is Pastor Moke again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard in the message or read in the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.